Well, good morning, church. Welcome to Lakeview, and uh, really glad to have you. Take a seat, and uh, it is so good to see faces here this morning, and I don't know if you noticed this morning, but we did have like a full band up here this morning. Anybody happy about that? Yes. Thank you for drums and bass and... You know what, personally speaking, I love the songs, so that was just an amazing worship set. Thank you so much. Um, I also want to let you know um, that starting next week, we are moving to one service that will be at 1030 on Sundays. So um, the regulations um, got like lifted enough so that we can fit enough people in one service, and um, and it's kind of nice to have a little bit more of a, of a congregation coming together. Um, so for the duration of the summer, at least, we'll be doing one worship gathering, 1030, starting next Sunday. So don't come at 11 or you're going to miss the, uh, the great music again. Um, so let's just pray together and we'll jump into God's word. Lord, thank you so much, uh, Lord, for... For, for the hope that you give us, Lord, and for the, the word, Lord, the living word that you give to us. And uh, Lord, we pray, O Holy Spirit, that you would open it up, Lord, that we may see, Lord, the, the wonderful truth of who you are. Um, Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and Lord, that we might leave here having done more than just learn some information. May we experience that heart transformation from the inside out that you alone can do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, we're continuing on in a series. We've been looking through the book of First John, a very small book at the tail end uh, of the New Testament. And um, it's written by uh, John the, uh, the Apostle, the disciple, one of Jesus' closest followers, someone who, who knew him so well and, and wrote um, from a pastor's heart to a church that was going through some tumultuous times to, to affirm them, to give them confidence and assurance of where they stood with the Lord. And so the idea, the, 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 the series title is Verify. It's to be able to look at our faith and, and, and verify where we're at to have assurance of faith. So that we're not always walking on eggshells, concerned that if I do one thing wrong, are we out of favor with God? Have we lost touch? And, and so we can live with that hope and, and that confidence. And so, um, and so we're going to continue today. Um, and we have come to uh, chapter 2, verse 18. I'm going to just read the whole passage, and then we'll come back and unpack it um, bit by bit. So uh, if you have a Bible, 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, and here's what it says. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? 
This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you that those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. All right, there is a whole lot to unpack there. And I got to tell you, it's a bit of a complex passage. Um, And so we're just going to walk through it uh, a bit at a time. There's some great stuff in here, some challenging material in here. But it starts out with a um, sort of an alert, you know, like the alerts that you set on your phone. Remind me about this appointment that is coming up so I don't miss it. And John alerts us to, to the hour that we're in. He says that we're in the last hour, that, that according to God's schedule, according to the unfolding plan of redemption that he is working out in world history, we're at the end. We're into the final act. And so to just kind of review, uh, Act 1 is the act of creation where, where God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them in six days and he rested on the seventh day. And then Act 2 was the fall when Adam and Eve were tempted and, and ate of the, the, the forbidden fruit and sin entered into the world. And then Act 3 was this act of redemption that, that started way back when, when the Lord called Abraham. And, and made a nation out of him, set them apart as his chosen people through whom the Messiah would one day come. And Jesus came and he accomplished that redemption on the cross. He made what was wrong right again and then he rose back to life and he commissioned his followers and gave them this command to go make disciples in all of the world and, and build up this countercultural community called the church. And he said, keep on doing that. Keep on doing that till I return and then I'll ultimately bring that restoration and make all things new. So, so that, according to the scripture, is, is that's where we're moving towards. That's where history is heading. And, and this time between Jesus' first coming and his return, that's known in the Bible as the last days. And, and, and we're living in them. That's, that's where we find ourselves in. And, and one of the defining features of these final days, John says, is this issue of Antichrist. He talks about Antichrist. Uh, not a very comfortable subject to talk about, you know, but one of the beauties of walking through a book of the Bible sequentially is you come to things and you unpack them. Or you can just kind of skip them and say, ah, never mind about that. Let's just gloss over that. But we don't do that. We, we unpack what's in here. And there's this issue of Antichrist that we've come to. John, John describes this as a reality. He talks about both the Antichrist as well as antichrist. So the antichrist is ultimately a a satanically influenced individual 
who at some point in history is going to set himself up in the place of God, and he's going to deceive many, and then he's going to be defeated by Jesus. That's, that's ultimately coming, but leading up to that time, there's more than just a singular person. There are antichrists. There's, there's agents of antichrist that, that are going to be cut from the same mold. They're going to manifest that same attitude, but maybe not to that, that great a degree. And so, and so this, this is the last hour that we're living in, and we're living in this age of antichrist. So, so, so let's just stop and talk about that for a moment. How do you respond to that? How does that hit you? You know, I, I imagine that there may be a couple of people who are like salivating right now. Like, I have been waiting so long, Pastor Brian, for you to preach about the Antichrist. I am so into the end times. I've got my charts. I got my timelines. I got this whole thing laid out. Thank you. I'm so excited. And I hate to disappoint you, but that's kind of not where we're going this morning. Um, but, um, but there's others of you here that may have the exact opposite response. You know, you're kind of freaked out right now. You know, when you hear that word antichrist, it kind of sounds like something out of a horror movie, you know, something real terrifying. And, and now you're, you're, you're listening to your pastor tell you that we are living in the age of antichrist. That, yeah, that could be kind of disorienting. Um, stay with me. Let's, let's unpack this. We're going to walk through this, and I guarantee you it's not... Uh, like anything out of a horror movie. Um, here's the thing. John is writing what he's writing to the church he's writing to because they have to deal with an issue. They have to deal with antichrists. And, and what I would say is that every church has to be equipped to deal with antichrists. And the reality is, like it or not, John's already told us, we are in the last hour and antichrists are going to come, and so we have to be aware of them. And, and he talks about three questions that we can get the answers to, just strictly from this passage. We could, we could do a whole Bible survey about this, but we're going to kind of maintain just this particular passage. What do we see? What do we learn about this antichrist? Uh, first question is, where are they? Where, where do you find the antichrists? You know, I think most people, Christians included, when you talk about the Antichrist, we, we tend to equate it with, with, with some kind of diabolical world leader, right? Someone who's in politics, someone who's in a position of power, pulling streams, strings and, and doing something really devious. But, but what we find here is John is pointing us not to the White House, but to God's house, to look, look for them there. They're, they're rising up from within the walls of Jesus' church. That's, that's the story he's telling. That's what he's pointing to in this passage, that there is this group inside the church, and, and, and they, they had an agenda. They were trying to influence the rest of the church to shift the message, to change things just a little bit. And and when that didn't work out, when they didn't get that, that what they wanted, they ended up leaving. They caused a bit of a church split. And, and I got to say, that, 
that's not an anomaly. It's not like, wow, what an unusual thing that happened in John's church. Um, that's a, something that we see all throughout Scripture. Most of the epistles are written to address errors like that. And even in the book of Acts, which records the early church starting out, there's this beautiful scene at the end of it where, where Paul is saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders, this church that he planted, that he loves so much. And he's saying goodbye to them for the very last time because he's on his way to Rome and he knows that it's going to just be really bad there. Things are not going to go well for them. He's not going to see them again. But here's what he leaves them with. Here's his final, final closing thoughts. He says, I know, guys, after my departure, he says, fierce wolves are going to come in among you, not sparing the flock. Then he says this, from among your own selves. In other words, the elders there, this circle of people that he's talking to, some of you guys are going to rise up and say twisted things to draw disciples away from them. And then he says, so, so therefore, be alert. Be alert. Be aware of the time that you're living in. You are in the last days. And this, this matters. We can't just blow this off as something that doesn't apply to us today. Um, so let me say this. This is going to maybe sound ridiculous to you, but it's my firm conviction. Um, what happens in Jesus' church, in the church, not, not just this church, but in the corporate church, is of infinitely greater consequence than anything that's going on in the political realm in our world today. I don't know if you believe that, but, you know, we, 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 we get so wrapped up with leaders, with, with ideologies, and we lose sight of the reality of how critical the church is in God's eyes. The church is a target. The church is the place where the enemy has a sight set on and there are spiritual forces at work to corrupt it, to distort it, and to destroy the message, the gospel message, that faith that has once for all been delivered unto the saints, as the book of Jude says, that, that truth that the church has been entrusted to proclaim to a world in need. And that, and that leads us to the second question, the second question that gets answered in this passage. So the church is where you find these agents of Antichrist. The second question is, what do they say? What, what message do they bring? And the defining feature is that they lie about the most important truth. The truth is that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Savior that you and I and everyone in this world needs. And so the defining mark of Antichrist is to lie about that most important truth. John says, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. And so there's this attempt to take God and to remove Jesus from that God and to separate the two into something else. Um, you know, the agents of Antichrist will, they'll, all, they'll, they'll be happy to speak about Jesus as long as it's like, Jesus as a teacher, sure, yeah, teacher, that's great. 
Jesus as a moral example, absolutely no problem. Jesus as a social justice warrior, yes. But Jesus as the Christ, the Christ, that means the Messiah, that means the Savior, that's referring to the eternal Son of God who is co-equal with God the Father, who left heaven, came to this earth to rescue us from sin and to reconcile a broken humanity back to God. And John says, you can know the Antichrist because they're never able to tell that truth about Jesus. They want to be willing to admit it. They will consistently cast Jesus as someone less than who he really is and doing less than what he's actually done. And that bears out. You know, if you ask the cults, the cults do not get the answer to that question right. They don't say Jesus is God. Maybe he's a God, but he is less than the God. You know, the world religions, they don't get the answer to that question right either. They say Jesus is important, he's a prophet, he's someone we should listen to, but he's not God. The New Age philosophies, they don't get the answer to that question right either. They say Jesus is like the guru that you can aspire to be. You can be Jesus yourself, and he's the first one who's led a path that you can follow on, and you'll get there. You'll be just like him. John says those are, those are all lies. Those are lies that we can be tempted to buy into. So watch out. So he tells us the truth. The truth is what we call, it's what's known as the gospel message. The truth is that God has definitively revealed himself through his one and only son, Jesus Christ. The truth is that he is exclusively reconciling humanity back to himself through Jesus Christ. The truth is that getting right with God is something we can never do on our own doesn't matter how good we are or how hard we try. So let me use an illustration to kind of make the point. Um, and if you have a dog, but did you ever have a dog get sprayed by a skunk? It is a terrible experience. It is one of the quickest ways to ruin a perfectly good evening. You know, in the living room, and you suddenly smell something, and I look outside, and there's the dog, and man, evening is gone. He's been sprayed by a skunk. Um, because there's a problem. The problem is that, you know, I love my dog, but if my dog got skunked, there's no way he's living under my roof, as is. And, and the reason is not because I don't love my dog. It's because probably what's true of me is true of you, is that I cannot coexist with skunk spray. That, that just does not work. And so what that means is something has to be done. I've got to roll up my sleeves. I've got to take out some cans of tomato paste and jars or whatever and do whatever it takes to get that smell off before he comes into my house again. And, and so here's the thing. What, what skunk spray is to us, sin is to a holy God. And and that's the reason Jesus came, because something had to be done. God broke into human history. Jesus shed his blood on the cross to cleanse us from our sin. 
And the gospel says that through faith in Jesus Christ, you can be reconciled to God. And, and, and it says that, that Jesus is the only way and that there's no other name under heaven or earth by which men can be saved. Because here's the thing. No other religious leader ever claimed to resolve the sin issue in your life, right? So Muhammad didn't. Buddha never claimed to resolve the sin issue. Confucius hasn't. Jesus is the only one. And the gospel says that salvation is available to anyone who receives him and trusts him, not just the spiritually elite who who have done so many good things and eventually attain to that, but you can be made right with God now through grace because of Jesus. So here's the thing. Here's why this matters so much is because if that is true, then what that means is that the gospel is the most important message in the universe. It's the most important message in the universe. And that's why there are these agents of Antichrist looking to undermine it at work in the church because if they can get God's people to buy a lie, to change the message, it would be devastating. See, nothing less than eternity is at stake. If you change the message, you lose the mission. John understands that. That's why he's so bold about this. And so where do we find these agents of Antichrist? They're inside the church. What's their message? It's to lie about the most important truth, that Jesus is the Christ. One last question we find here in this passage is, what do they look like? How, How do they appear? John says this in verse 26. He says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to, what? To deceive you. You know, deception is a kind of a very crafty kind of thing, right? They're, the agents of Antichrist are masters in deception. It's, it's, it's working in the subtle and, and the covert, not the overt and obvious. So what that means as we're talking about Antichrist, if you have in your mind expecting to see someone coming through these doors wearing an upside-down cross with horns out of their head and a tail and a pitchfork in their hand, and they're going to come and say, worship Satan, and you're going to be, that's the Antichrist. That's not what you're looking for. That's not what they're going to look like. That's just someone putting on a show. And yeah, those people are out there, but come on. That's, that's not it. Expect instead someone who's respectable, someone who's charming, someone who's charismatic, someone who's friendly, someone who you'd want to invite over and have a barbecue with, someone who speaks incredibly persuasively, and someone who is right on about everything except that most important thing. Maybe someone like like the serpent that, that Eve encountered with, just came up and asked a real innocent question, such a subtle, innocent question. Did God really say that? That's how it all started. Sowing a seed of doubt. Today, what, is, what does that sound like? Maybe it sounds something like this. You're perfect just the way you are. All you have to do is your best. 
It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere in your beliefs. God is for whatever makes you happy. He wouldn't want you to change. There are many paths to God, so just choose the one that's right for you. Or never mind about the truth. What's true for you? Tell me about your truth. Those, those are the messages of Antichrist. Maybe, maybe you've heard them before. All right, let's, let's get a little closer to home. Maybe we've spoken words like that ourselves before. Do you see how subtle it is? Do you see how deceptive it is? Here's the thing. There are unintentional agents of Antichrist. So let's be rid of this idea that it has to be someone who has malintentions, someone who's diabolical. It is more likely to be someone who is deceived. Deceived deceivers. That's how it happens. Uh, in 2 Timothy, Paul warns uh, Timothy about those in the church who had been captured by Satan to do his will in the church. And he says, the goal is to free the captive. So you don't want to make the mistake of shooting the captive. You want to free them. And he says, the way that that happens is with heavy doses of gospel truth. Heavy doses of gospel truth. Keep that gospel. Keep that reality that Jesus is the Christ front and center. All right, so let's, let's just shift gears a little bit. I know this is a heavy message um, for the middle of July. Um, we're in this age of Antichrist. They're inside working to undermine things from the inside out, but, but there's some good news here. The good news is that we do not have to live in fear. We can be aware of it, but we don't have to live in fear because God has given us his children, everything they need, everything we need to guard against the attacks. He says, you, child of God, you have been anointed by the Holy Spirit. You have all knowledge. And he says, I write to you not because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it. So there's reason to have confidence, to live with confidence, even as these deceptions are coming at us. Three, three reasons. The first one is that we're, we're equipped with the truth. We're equipped with truth. The passage talks so much about truth. And so, and so here's the thing. When someone comes up to you and claims to have some kind of secret new revelation that's going to take your spiritual walk to the next level, or when someone comes knocking on your door with pamphlets in hand telling you all about their special insights about God, Here's how to respond. Who's Jesus? That's the question. And then just, just listen. And listen, is, is the Jesus that they're talking about, is he, is he the God or is he just a God? Is he just a witness to God or is he the eternal creator, the one who's worthy of all worship, the one who, who left seven, heaven to, to save us from our sin? See, here's, here's what you need to know. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to be able to navigate this kind of stuff. You don't have to have gone to seminary, had advanced studies in Greek and Hebrew to be able to, uh, to ask that question and, and understand what the right answer is. The, you, you, you may feel intimidated about that, but you've, you've been equipped with the truth. 
Um, John urges us here. He says something really important. He says, hold on to what you've heard from the beginning. He says, that's what matters. And, and that's something that we need to remember. You know, in a, in a day and an age where we're always trying to update things. And, and it's good and it's important to update the methods, but sometimes we update the methods by updating the message, and that's where things go wrong. You know, we need to make it more palatable. We need to make it so it's more relevant. But, but John says this, hold on to what you heard from the beginning. What, what that means for us is that we just, we, we keep this Bible open. We keep this book open. We stay grounded in Scripture and in the Gospel. What, what it means also is that you don't listen to what I say because I'm standing here on a platform, that you test what I say according to what you see in Scripture. And if what I'm saying doesn't line up, then, then you call me on it because I'm, I'm not the authority. Um, what this means, this reality of truth, um, means that there are going to be people, if you're in a church setting long enough, there are going to be people who are going to walk. In, in John's church, we see this, that unity didn't come at the cost of the truth. So when the answer these guys gave about Jesus was a lie, and, and they wouldn't get the rest of the church to change that, they, they ended up leaving, and, and John let them walk. He didn't go chasing after them and say, oh, no, it's okay. You can still come here and be a part of this. You know, Jesus is a dividing line. There, there is no such thing as unity at the sake of truth. And so when our definitions of love, we're going to talk about love. John has a lot to say about it. But when our definition of love allows for lies— when our definition of love withholds the truth, that's, that's not loving. There's, there's nothing loving about that. So that's the, that's the truth equipping. There's also what he calls anointing. He talks about this issue of anointing. He says, you have been anointed, that the Holy Spirit is, in, it's, is residing in the lives of God's children, empowering us to know the truth empowering us to discern the difference between truth and lie. Sometimes we see it, and sometimes it's just like this sense of, yeah, you know what, there's just something that is so off about that, and, and, and I'm not comfortable with that, and I've got to just, just stay away from that. Um, there's a safeguard to that. Anointing is, is a real thing. He, God has given it to our lives to be able to understand how to live out the Christian life, and how to live out an empowered life that accomplishes God's purposes for us. Um, <clears throat> as my voice is cracking, I want to say that um, this issue of anointing um, is one that as your pastor, I, I take this one really seriously. Um, you know, I, I get the incredible privilege of, of standing up here, preaching, teaching, pastoring, and what that is, it's not about, you know, Brian sharing his insights with you. It is ultimately that somehow the Lord would use me, that I would be a vessel through whom the Holy Spirit would work and do so much more than what this guy can do on his own. 
And, and, and I gotta tell you, I, I don't take that for granted because anointing isn't automatic. There are things that we do to, to either further the anointing and allow that flow of God's work move forward in our lives, and there's things that we can do to block that up and stop that. So that's something I think about. I think about that every day. Um, that is top of mind for me all the time. I have, I have seen lives uh, that were so fruitful in ministry just get so jammed up so that there's just like a shell of what was once there left, and, 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 and I don't want that for myself. Um, I want to say this too in the terms of anointing, that in the culture that we're living, in the realities that we're living out right now, um, you know, we live in a culture that more and more is becoming this, um, this cancel culture. You know, we hear about that. We see this thing where if your message doesn't line up with what society's take is on what it ought to be, then you're going to be in trouble, right? And, and more and more, that what is approved in society is the idea that you affirm everyone and everything, or else you are just canceled. There is no space in our culture for someone who doesn't affirm anything and everyone. And we are in a, a world where more and more um, what is wrong is being called right. And, you know, I don't know when the day is coming, but it has, it has been more and more preoccupied in my mind and my prayers that that day may come, and, and I may be long gone before it happens, but that choice between either the anointing of God or the acceptance by our culture is going to be a real issue. It's going to be an either-or choice. And so, um, you know, it, it just allows us to really do some, some, some self-assessment, you know, and, uh, you know, we got, we got some buildings here. We've got, you know, some, some great work going on. That, that could end in an instant in the culture that we're in, and that's okay. That's okay. Um, anointing, anointing matters in my life. It matters in all the lives of God's children. So, so we're equipped with the truth. We're equipped with anointing. One last thing is we're equipped by maintaining a close walk with the Lord Jesus. Talks in this passage again and again about abiding in him. He says, but just as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Stay connected to Jesus. That is the greatest safeguard because ultimately, don't, don't mistake, truth is not a principle. Truth is not a proposition. Truth is a person whose name is Jesus, and he's someone that we go through life with, we live life with, and there's no substitute for that abiding, living with Jesus, listening to him, learning from him, and following him in obedience. So stay close to him. And, and as we do that, we can navigate through all of these different messages that are bombarding us uh, day in and day out. We can, we can throw away those things that are lies and hold on to the truth. So, so let me close by going back to, to what this passage says is the ultimate issue, the ultimate question. And the question is, who is Jesus? That, that is the ultimate question. Jesus 
he, he was gathered with his disciples and he asked them, hey, who do people say that I am? And, and there was all kinds of answers. Some say you're John the Baptist. Others are saying you're Elijah. The general consensus, Jesus, is that you're pretty, you're pretty high. You're, you're like a prophet. You know, you're, you've got a really good status. But he wasn't satisfied with that. And he makes it real personal. He turns to them and says, what about you, my disciples? Who do you say I am? And Peter responds and he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And not only does Jesus say you got that right, but he says, upon that confession, upon that statement, my church is going to be built. And the gates of hell and the spiritual forces of darkness are not going to be able to prevail against that statement. You know, that's something that Jesus gets real personal with all of us about. Who do you say he is? That's the most important question. And so when you're standing at heaven's gate, and the question is not going to be, you know, why should I let you in? It's not going to be like, well, I went to enough church services. Or, you know, I read my Bible this many times. Or I did this many good deeds, so I qualify to get in. The only question is going to be, who did you say Jesus was? To those who confessed him as Christ, they're forgiven. They're welcome into Jesus' house. And to those who refused him and refused his offer to pay for their sin, they've made the choice to pay for it themselves. And so that's what's at stake. Nothing short of eternity stands in the balance for how that question gets answered. And God wants us to live with confidence. First John 5, 12 says, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. But the wrath of God remains on him. He's made it crystal clear. Jesus is everything. If you've got him, you're in a good place. So let's just pray now.